While we connect to Sisan Jona, the chief executive of SA Tourism, after a really, really tough year, of course, for tourism, we want to talk to him about him and his money, his uh, what he does, how he does it. Um, all of that coming up on this evening's edition of The Money Show. Zoom letting us down this evening, but Sisa Nchona, Chief Executive at SA Tourism. Sisa, you've had one of the most thankless jobs, I think, in the country, alongside half the other jobs in the public sector, uh, where people have been trying to keep lights on and keep countries from imploding. But, I mean, from a tourism perspective, what a disaster it has been, certainly from a, a foreign inbound tourism perspective. Uh, Bruce, you couldn't make this stuff up, you know, and I was listening quite attentively when you're speaking to Anthony from Sun International. And, uh, you know, every time you think you have it, something just happens that is totally out of your control. You know, two days ago, we had that Italy is going to hard lockdown, you know, and there goes our plan. So you have to keep on pressing the reset button and recalibrate every single time. So it's, uh, it's kind of difficult, yeah. How are you planning for a future for tourism in the environment as it sits at the moment, can you plan? Look, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And the when comes in when all the stars align. So what is in your control is how, what you can do as a country. You get your readiness levels up, you essentially do all that you can in order to be ready to accept or receive visitors around the world. What's out of your control are the source countries where they are at in terms of the pandemic, where they are at in terms of their lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, you know, it only works when that corridor opens on both sides, but what's in our control is within our space. And I think that's what we're trying to do as a country. Are we marketing at all at the moment? I mean, have we got anything to say, considering also, of course, that your budgets have been slashed as a result of um, government spreading the bit of money it's got very, very thinly right now? Yeah, you know, um, I work with a very creative team and my chief marketing officer always kind of threatens me all the time that we just cannot afford to be invisible in the market. It's still very competitive out there, believe me. Uh, what we're doing there is almost making sure that we're not forgotten as a destination, a halo effect as it were, but no active campaigns to convert because simply just not the time that, you know, right now. So we are we we there, we're visible, we keep people informed about the country, we constantly communicate to them in terms of where we're at, what our numbers look like, and when the time is right to say they're welcome to travel to South Africa. Because, I mean, all of the tourism properties in South Africa are taking an enormous amount of strain. It's As I said to Anthony Leeming earlier, it's all well and good if you've got a big fat balance sheet. But if you're a private operator, if you own, own a, a small property that is dependent on the tourist season or whatever the case might be, the odds are you've not survived so far simply because there isn't that local demand for your level of product necessarily. Yeah, I mean, globally, the, the, the tourism supply side is under pressure. And like many economies, for the foreseeable future, we have to take care of ourselves. So domestic tourism is the driver. However, within this domestic space, there's differences within there. The inner city hotels, the ones that cater for corporate travel, government travel, and conferencing are really, really under pressure. I mean, you just look up the road in uh, the Hyatt in Rosebank, it's still not open because its market segment is simply not moving from that perspective. Where we've seen some reprieve is in the leisure side. You know, anything with a mountain, a beach, or a bush, essentially getting a lot of traffic over weekends. And uh, as we build up towards Easter, we've seen a very nice order book 
trying to pick up on those uh, establishments there. But and then, to recover them. absolutely. Then the fear, of course, is if as these properties draw lots and lots of people, the risks then rise of transmission of COVID nineteen. I mean, it's one of the the awful realities that the, this industry is having to contend with. Make as much hay as you possibly can before you're forced to tighten up once again. It's a very tight and difficult balance, and we are always trying to advocate to the tourism industry. Don't take shortcuts, which may give you some short-term you know, revenue boost, only to set ourselves up for failure in the longer term, as it were. The rush right now, like with many places, around the vaccine rollout, because you know we are adopting this year in the tourism industry as the year of the vaccine. That's going to be the competitive advantage that many destinations are going to be competing on. It is those destinations that says our rollout percentage to our um, population is X. You know, and I think once that magical number hits, people say, listen, I'd rather go to that destination. It offers me a, a sense of confidence, as it were, uh, relative to other destinations. That's why we want to catch up as a country on that vaccine rollout. I mean, uh, how are you feeling about the pace of the vaccine rollout? Many people listening to us this evening are saying, well, we are not hiding to nothing then because we're not getting it done quickly enough and effectively enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just just look at, at, at kind of how the world reports now. We've moved away from reporting the number of positive cases uh, of COVID. Now the focus is on the you know the prevalence of the rollout in each economy. So suddenly now, the countries like the UK and the US, which were literally in trouble, are now celebrating or have been celebrated. And suddenly they are in the top five in the world in terms of rollout. Mm. And suddenly the shift has moved away from. How many positive cases do they have again? To actually saying, well, how quickly are they rolling out the vaccine? And that's given them a bit of a second life, as it were, uh, you know, from previous. Absolutely. I was surprised over the weekend. I was just doing a little bit of research to say who, who's doing well where. And the country that came up that was um, wonderful to see because it shows what is possible with some proper planning and management is Chile. Uh, Chile, an, an economy uh, not dissimilar to ours in terms of it being commodity dependent, very isolated from um, off the, the beaten track of the world, for example. It's got a billionaire president um, who has negotiated high level deals in order to get decent numbers of vaccines. In. And Chile is, as a developing market, one of the best performers in the world right now. It shows what is possible. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh this whole who are heroes and uh, not heroes oscillates depending on what's uh, yeah. the focus at the moment in time. You know, so previously Chile was in the you know in the in the bottom you know together with the Brazils and everything else there. And you're absolutely right; they've got this vaccine story right. They've got their allocation sorted, and they're now starting to pump that out. What we still have to see now is the impact of the vaccine. You know, you're starting to see even in Europe now. Uh, AstraZeneca being doubted, uh, some have paused it, some are going ahead with it, you know, so it's, it's yes, the, the focus is on the rollout, but now we're going to start to see actually as in terms of the, the, the consequences of it, which one is winning, which one is not, and uh, yeah, and I think it's going to be quite interesting to see then the next, not, not so much the way, but next round, if I can call it, of uh, results coming through from the vaccine rollout. Yeah, we, we not only we need to get a vaccine rollout going and make that effective, 
but uh, our chief tourism destinations, the places from which we uh, source many of our tourists, need to be uh, getting it right as well so that we can get some some tourism going. Let's take me back in history, if you would, Cesar. Tell me about where Cesar yeah. and Jonna grows up, the circumstances of, of growing up, where you grew up and when you grew up. Yeah, I was uh, born in a small little town in the Eastern Cape called Alice, and there's a little village there called Gaga. And uh, yeah, that was in the early 70s, and uh, it's been since the backdrop of my childhood. Uh, for many people, they don't know where Alice is. It's uh, where University of Forte is, and I think many yeah. people go, aha, that's where it is. You know? And uh, yeah, very fond memories of my uh, early childhood. Uh, and that childhood, of course, then uh, leads you to going to school. In uh, You stayed at school in the Eastern Cape. Uh, you went to university after that? What did you study? Yes. I went to the university in uh, Cape Town, UCT, and I studied finance. And that was my uh, natural passion. And uh, I think my high school teacher said to me, if you don't study finance, uh, <laughs> she'll find me and hunt me down. You know, so... Uh, I think my path was kind of chiseled that way, and uh, yeah, I haven't looked back ever since. Uh, did you regret your, the choices that you made? I mean, yes, you've used that finance degree to get into becoming CEO of SA Tourism, which is great, but have you ever regretted that choice? No, absolutely not. It's provided, you know, such great anchoring, you know, and uh, and I'm able to seamlessly walk into uh, a destination management organization that's full of marketers, but essentially apply the skills of saying, well, end of the day, we are running a, a business here, that tourism is trade. And that's the lens that I look at it. You know, I'm always focused in terms of how many tourists that come to the country and more importantly, how much are they spending? You know, are they leaving the country with uh, dollars and euros and pounds in the pocket or are we essentially making sure that, you know, they, uh, they spend as much money as they can in the economy that ultimately helps, you know, with our recovery as a country and also is fantastic for our balance of payments with well, hard currency coming in. And again, I think I'm able to uh, adjust quite nicely in that space. Don't quite yet have a ponytail, but... Uh, <laughs> like yeah. what, what did you do before SA Tourism? Where, where, what was your path? Oh, I was in banking for the last uh, 14, 15 years, and many people ask me why I joined government, and I tell them I'm, you know, repenting for my sins, as it were. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then uh, even in banking, you know, I worked for the APSA group, and you can have multiple careers within there. I started off in investment banking, and then ultimately ended up in heading up the SME banking division of uh, Barclays at the time. Uh, and uh, what got you then out of banking and into tourism? I mean, what was the great motivator for you? Yeah, I think I uh, I bought what the president was selling uh, around Tumamina, uh, if I can call it that, and around asking for capable people whom uh, the country's done well for to say, listen, get involved, uh, choose your part, and let's grow this economy and this country together. And I think that big sense of patriotism really, really got me and, uh, you know, I got to a space that says, well, um, you know, uh, uh, a bigger car is not going to make me happier, but how can I contribute to, to the country? And, uh, you know, when the tourism opportunity came through, it just fell right in place. And I said, listen, let me put down a hard five years and contribute there and see what I can do to shape the, the country better.
Talk to me about, I mean, you've got a degree in finance, and so one assumes immediately um, that your personal finances are in ship-shape top order. I don't know if anybody's are. Um, but, but what is your thinking around money? I mean, how important is money in your, in, in your world? You know, the interesting thing, you know, studying finance, you don't have a, a course around personal finance. So no one teaches you university around how to manage finances. You get taught how to use, manage other people's finances, can, you know, companies, et cetera, et cetera. So, so a lot of how personally I started the lessons around, you know, personal finance was just, uh, you know, trial and error as it were. And I think, uh, you know, navigating our way around it. My views around money, it's, a, it's an enabler. It's an enabler towards something. That money in itself is not the end game, but rather how you apply it effectively in order to get whatever objectives that you are searching for. Uh, and what are your objectives when it comes to money? I mean, what do you, how do you think about this wonderful enabler, this thing that um, causes us sleepless nights, but um, uh, also provides incredible opportunities to do incredible things? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the one is quality of life. Uh, essentially, I'm married with two kids, and uh, you know the perspective there is, you know, how do I use money to, you know, give my children the proper grounding education and future as much as I can, and also living a quality of life that is um, desirable for one. But also as well, you know, I, I come from a big extended family, and uh, how then do you start to kind of lift up others? you know, with whatever resources or some form of leveraging in order to help and kind of get everyone moving across. So, so again, it, it, it is the, the joy or the pleasure for me comes in what you do with it that actually makes others happier. What do you, what, what, I mean, without getting too personal about it, I mean, what do you like to do? What do you like your money to achieve uh, in the context that you've just spelled out for us? Sure, uh, a bit of a balanced portfolio, putting something aside because we don't know what the future looks like, you know, and uh, if there's any lessons out there, it's this lesson around COVID where it can be unpredictable. You know, you put some aside, um, you invest, you know, and uh, what I'm talking about investment, talk about investment in the education, investment in the quality of life that I speak about as well. And then, um, you know, we the other angle I could kind of put through it is enjoyment, you know, um, our family, we love to travel. We spend obscene amount of money in travel. But what it does for us, it makes us worldly citizens. And uh, again, you know, we are able to, uh, I suppose, have a bit of a more well-rounded view of the world, as it were. And uh, yeah, and that's just been our own uh, journey, I suppose. I mean, and that tourism, I mean, when, when you talk about investing and investing in yourselves, uh, it's from an education perspective, it's from a development perspective, it's from a, uh, supporting extended family, as you suggest that you do. Uh, when it comes to travel, what sort of travel do you do? I mean, does the CEO of SA Tourism do only five star? Um, do you go camping? Do you go backpacking? What do you do? How do you spend those tour- your tourism rants in a world where um, tourism is expensive especially when you do it in our currency sure the strangest thing or the biggest irony is that i've actually been traveling less ever since i took up the role as the of SA tourism it's almost like i'm in the middle to back office now as opposed to becoming the consumer of it but uh, my life before SA tourism is that we did everything you know um, everything from, you know, we used to have one overseas trip that we did religiously. We always did an African country once a year as well. 
And, uh, you know, we also did an, an annual road trip and where essentially we should just pack up the car, pack up the trailer, uh, get some cash, and we just drive around. And uh, the kids would have fun and give them a map to read through and we wouldn't book anything. And wherever we ended up was kind of how we actually uh, moved around, you know. So as, as I say, ever since I uh, held up the SA tourism position, just time is, you know, unfortunately not been on my side because, you know, when you travel now, it's almost like work subconsciously at the back of my mind. Sure. But uh, yeah, but it's been great. I mean, yeah, and tourism is work. It's a massive job and it's a, it's a huge industry to fix. When you've traveled the world and you take the lessons, as we all do from travel when we go to new and interesting places, what have, you, what have been the big things that you've learned from some of the destinations that you're applying nowadays in the job of a CEO of SA Tourism? Travel is trade. It's really, really big trade. And, you know, I look at and admire the countries that really put themselves together and kind of have a, a, a government approach, a full-on government approach around prioritizing travel, making sure that if they're targeting a country like China, as an example, that every single thing is stacked up in a way to attract visitors in here. We've got some way to go as a country because we've historically relied on mineral resources. Mining has been our anchor to get us manufacturing, as an example. And now we're starting to see a bit of a dilution away from there and kind of making sure that the services industry, which is tourism-related, is not just a holiday, but essentially to look at it as trade, that the more visitors we get into the country, the more we travel our own country, and, uh, you know, it starts to become about economic activity in that space. And again, I really admire destinations that they've got it. And uh, I think we're getting there as a country, not quite there, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we're kind of making some strides towards that. Uh, and if, if money is spent on tourism and on travel is money well spent, where do you feel guilty? What are your small and yana money skeletons, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing one or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier on. Um, every couple of years or so, we... We get some bucket list destinations and really spend an obscene amount of money uh, just ticking the box in terms of some of the things that we want to do, you know. So, uh, you know, we have this thing that every New Year we need to find, you know, a global destination, uh, you know, that we kind of go into. So from going to New York and watching the ball drop as an example, all the way up to Hong Kong and watching the fireworks on that side, you know, even up to Russia and kind of St. Petersburg. I mean, all of those places have really, really been awesome and add to the to the depth and breadth, basically, of what you do. But uh, they don't come cheap. It's a uh, premium time, you know, but uh, you close your eyes and boost and say, listen, you only live once. <laughs> you go for it. No, no but that, that's the point. And, uh, and uh, again, the lesson we learn from COVID and the restrictions that it puts on us teaches us that there's no time like the present. If an opportunity presents itself... Um, you know, I think one of the the great opportunities of a global recovery is going to be in exactly that, all of this huge pent-up demand, which I hope we're going to be in a position to fully exploit as as, as a tourism destination. Absolutely, you know, and, and again, it's, um, it's, it's really teaching us to seize the moment, as it were, uh, whilst at the same time, you know, just to be aware that there is still a tomorrow. So, again, you're always bobbing up and down from the perspective. You are right, you know, we are all waiting, you know, uh, to capture that pent-up demand. And you can just imagine visually that the world is going to become very noisy in the next couple of months with every destination putting up their hands, say, come to me, come to me. 
how are we going to make sure that South Africa's voice really rises above the others and lands where we should, you know? And then this is where we are starting to use a lot of technology and big data to make sure that we can deliberately pinpoint who's most likely to travel to South Africa and make sure that we can get them to come to our shore. Uh, and I wish you luck with it, Cesar. We're going to need every single euro, dollar and pound and pick any currency you like that we can get because we've got an industry that desperately needs help and desperately needs assistance. And it's such a wonderful industry from a recovery industry point of view, isn't it? I mean, from a job creation point of view, from an opportunity point of view. Absolutely. You know, the other thing is I always tell people that people don't know they're in tourism until tourism stops. Right? Now the tourism has stopped. Suddenly now, you know, the banks are realizing that, geez, you know, they're not making any money from Forex. You know, I had another, uh, one of these big logistic companies, as an example, who runs a car hire business. They actually never thought of themselves in tourism. Now they say, well, once the tourism wheel stops, we've seen a direct impact, you know, on our business. You know, whether you're speaking to um, even retail stores, suddenly Sentin City, as an example, start to realize that the big spenders are not us locals, but rather tourists coming in, you know. They don't naturally classify themselves in tourism, but rather in retail, but tourism is that magic lubricant that actually moves our economy from that perspective. And I think that's the realization and the penny dropping that it's all in our interest as a country to make sure that we really drive tourism. Caesar and Jonah, 